So today is Haman, um, as promised last week. And Haman is such a, a lengthy story that I, I'm going to have to take a couple of weeks in order to, to get and do, do it justice. And I got to give you a little backstory before we dive in. But um, the book of Esther is a very interesting book for a lot of reasons. But Esther is going to come out of nowhere and have an opportunity to rise and become the queen, married to the most powerful king at the time, a guy named Xerxes. And uh, the children of Israel, the Judah, uh, the southern kingdom, had been carried into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar. And Mordecai, the uncle of Esther, um, was one of the officials, and he's going to become a hero along with Esther in saving the Israelite people. Haman is going to be our bad guy. And, you know, I thought about having some fun with that. Like, hey, man, Haman. Anyway, but I, I'm going to resist that cheap joke. And so, um, so Haman is going to have some jealousy issues, some envy issues. And, and um, we're going to find out, like, listening to the wrong people around you sometimes get you in trouble. And what I want you to be thinking about as we walk through this this morning is um, many times I think we believe that monsters are born that way, like they're born monsters. But what if I told you that all these people in the Bible, they were not born monsters, they were not born heroes. It was the decisions that they made that push them into these categories. So all of us have a monster inside of us called sin, and we have to be very careful. And so Haman, we look back in retrospect and say, what a monster. But where did he, why did that happen? How did he get to where he was? And I think it'll be insightful for us and maybe some, some warning signs so that we can avoid allowing that monster to take hold in our own lives. Um, and so Mordecai is going to be the uncle of Esther who raised her as his own. Her parents passed away, likely in the transition uh, of captivity. And so uh, Mordecai is like a father figure um, to Esther, his adopted daughter. And so that sets the table. So they are in captivity. They are in a foreign land. This is not their people. And Xerxes is not their king. And so without further ado, let's get rolling. And Esther... Uh, chapter 2, it says, during this time, referring to the coronation of Esther as queen, it says, during this time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, and Big Thana and Teresh, um, this was a WWC tag team wrestling uh, group, um, and so uh, Big Thana uh, and and I'll call him T-Rex, um, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. Quick aside in leadership, if you ever naively believed that when you became the leader, all the people under you would love you and sing your praises as the new manager, because if I'm ever manager, if I'm ever boss, if I'm ever principal, things will be different. Um, let, me, let me tell you a lesson in leadership. You will always, always be critiqued and probably unfairly, and people will always second guess you like we do the Cowboys, rightfully so. Um, on a weekly basis. And so you just need to know that, that that's the cost of being a leader. And here are two of Xerxes' men that are upset about something he doesn't even tell us. 
what they're upset about, and now they're conspiring to kill him. Here is Mordecai entering into the picture. Verse 22, but Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. They thwarted the plot to kill the king. The two conspirators were killed um, uh, appropriately, uh, Old Testament style, of course. And so um, here we have the makings of what, I what I'm going to call is whenever we do the right thing today, it leads us to the right place tomorrow. So think about it. If you're Mordecai and you overhear this conspiracy, right? Imagine you're Mordecai. I think a lot of us, if we hear two soldiers that are more powerful than us and we're a slave, we're, a, we're, a, we're in a foreign land, we've been brought here against our will. These people have done atrocities to my people and now I overhear a plot to take out their leader. Don't you think it would have been super easy for Mordecai to say, you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna pretend I didn't hear that. I mean, I don't, want to, I don't want to get involved. I mean, this doesn't have anything to do with me, so why should I insert myself into this problem? I, I got so many problems of my own, I don't need to take on the problems of someone else. Man, can I help you today? I'm going to preach today, okay? I'm just letting you all know that the preaching is going to be had today. Man... Every time you ignore the right thing today, it's going to cost you tomorrow. And what we're going to find out about Mordecai is this moment that he does the right thing is actually going to be the prelude to a moment in the future that if he doesn't have this moment right now, if he doesn't do the right thing right now, then it's going to lead to the losing of an entire people group. His entire people group are going to be wiped out from a homicidal maniac as a result of his inaction. So sometimes we say to ourselves, what does it matter? What does it matter what I do? I mean, there's so many little things in life that you're supposed to do, right? There's all those little things that, that at your work you're supposed to do them, but but who will know if I don't do them? So if, if no one's going to notice if I don't do them, I mean, what's the, I guess I'll just let that slide. Man, if I could help you out with one successful tip in life, if you will do the right thing today, it will lead to the right place tomorrow. Why should you do it? Not because the boss told you to do it, not because that, you know, someone's going to judge you or you might. You should do it because it's the right thing to do. And the church said, amen. I mean, like, right? Like, you do it because it's right. It's right. So many times I think we're trying to think about how it advantages us and we miss out on it's right. Do the right thing today and it's going to lead to the right place tomorrow. The sad part is we can't do the right thing yesterday. You know that? Like, whatever you did yesterday, it's done. You can't undo it. So we can't do the right thing yesterday. Jesus kind of had a little spin on it. He was like, no man, by stressing out, can add one cubit. Can't, you can't make yourself any taller. Sorry, short people. You can't, you, you can't stress enough to make yourself grow. He said, tomorrow has sufficient 
is the evil thereof, like the, the, the worries of tomorrow are going to be there. So you can't even do the right thing tomorrow, today. All you can control is what you have right now. And if you will do the right thing right now, in time, I promise you, you will always get to the right place. Now understand, it might not always look like it, but your heart will know you're on the right track. What I mean by that is like there was so many stories in the Bible where they were doing the right thing, but if you look at their life in the window when Joseph was in prison, or you look at Abraham and Sarah while they're nomadically wandering around, even though God said, you're gonna have a child, or you look at Jesus while he's in the grave, or you look at Paul while he's in the prison, or you look at Peter while he's out on the boat after he's denied Christ, you might, you might have a, a tendency if you take a snapshot in that window to say they must be doing the wrong thing as Job's friends so terribly gave him this advice that you must be suffering because of some sin in your life. But it turns out he was doing the right thing by honoring God. And yes, there was suffering. Yes, there was struggle, but he was going to end up in the right place. And the right place, by the way, for Job was double everything that he had lost. And oh gosh, let's say double, one, two, three, double. I mean, God has a way if we would do the right thing today. So many times you're stressing out about like, what's gonna happen, what's gonna, oh, what's gonna happen, what's gonna happen? Do the right thing right now. Do the right thing right now. Whatever we think about it in, in terms of our relationship with God, what is the right thing? It's to put him number one, number one in your life. Prioritize your love according to the scriptures, not according to what you want, because what you want oftentimes is self-centered, but prioritize it as to what God wants. Prioritize your love. When you think about who you love the most, who you love the most, would you say that it's God? And if it's God, how much time do you spend with him? Because I know that we tend to spend time with the people that we love the most. We tend, we tend to like sacrifice for the one that we love the most. So if you're going to say that God is first place, I just want you to practically think about how you are demonstrating your love for God. When we don't honor him in, as first place, everything else gets messed up. Every other relationship is impacted by how we prioritize our number one relationship. Because if we prioritize our marriage, we tend to say, I want to take my marriage and get out of it what God intended for you to get from him. So you're trying to get this person to Jerry Maguire complete you, okay? You complete me, right? And it's so touching, so mo and we want a person, and we, we think of fairy tale love, and we think, oh, oh, if I could just find someone who will make me whole. And that is not, that is not, can I help you today? That is not the job of your spouse to make you whole. They can't fix what is broken inside of you. Though many of us have tried, and the church said, you're trying to fix them, How, how's that working out? How's that Dr. Phil, how's that working? Have you fixed them yet? No, you have not. If you allow God to complete you, to renew you, to create a new heart in you, now you will have something to give in the relationship. But when you are depending on someone else, to do for you what God said only he can do, now you're trying to take from the relationship. If you love God, then you'll wanna be like God. Was God a giver or was God a taker? 
God was always a giver. God gave us his only begotten son. God gave life in the very beginning. He breathed life into Adam and Eve. He renewed that which was lost. God was constantly giving, giving, giving. The Bible says in Ephesians that husbands, you're to love your wife the way that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What is the right thing in relationships? Self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice. You have to say they are the priority. Listen, I know you're busy. I know you are. But if you start missing on connection, this is a really weird time, I think, like the COVID time. Because I think... People have been more together, but I don't know if just being in the same house equals connection. Is that, is that true? Can you be in the same house? Can you be in the same church? You be in the same company? And yet somehow, if we don't invest in the relationship, we can be, we can be in the same proximity, but we don't have connection. We don't have community. Because that type of community and that kind of connection is intentional. You have to intentionally invest in the relationship. Husbands, I'm looking at you this morning, and you say, Tim, quit picking on me. Well, listen, Nancy, um, I'm just letting you know that when it comes to your house, that God has said he's going to hold you accountable for how it went in your house. That, so, so I'm just letting you know the reason why I'm putting the onus on you is because the Bible puts the onus on you. And if you don't like the way it's going in your house, I would just like you to examine how connected are you to God? Because if you're connected to God, you are going to lift your spouse up like the trophy that she is. And you're going to say, I'm going to protect this relationship above all others. And if I have to let all of everything else go in order to maintain this relationship and its integrity, then all of everything else is nothing compared to this one unique relationship here on the earth. And that's the way that God intended marriage to be. Do the right thing today in your marriage. And guess what? I'll guarantee you five years from now, you'll be in the right place. 10 years from now, you'll be in the right place. 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, you'll be in the right place. But it matters. It matters what you do today. You take a day off in marriage, it'll lead to two, lead to three. And next thing you know, you're living with someone that you're not even connected to. What a shame. What a shame. Let's listen to the life of Mordecai, who took advantage. Every time we see him in the scriptures, did the right thing. And it's amazing how God will position you, even though you're powerless, he puts you in these pivotal, powerful moments, all because he did the right thing. So today, if you've been doing the wrong thing, I want to encourage you. You can start doing the right thing today, right now. And say that God is going to be number one in your life. That you are going to worship him above all others. And then let that relationship backfill and control and give you the borders and the boundaries for every other relationship. Now let's get to the villain of today, Haman. Oh, Haman. Hey, man. Anyway, uh, the making of a monster. If you've ever wondered, 
Have you, have you guys watched that series, like The Making of a Murderer? Has anybody else liked I don't know why. I, I'm a psychologist, so I, I like the, like the deconstruct things. And when I look at Haman and I read the scriptures, I always want to just ask myself, like, how did they get there? And I think that's a very good introspective question. If you ever don't like where you're at, you should really ask yourself, how did you get here? Because if it's always outside influence, then you really are blaming. Because I will promise you, that we are the sum total of the decisions that we have made, not the sum total of decisions other people have made. That was a free sermon. Um, so as we look at Haman, we're going to see that there were several opportunities where he seems like he was a good guy. He was, a good, he was, he was honored, and so he was elevated. So I'm going to assume he was good. He was good. Everything was going great until it wasn't. And so after these events, it says King Xerxes honored Haman, the son of Hashemunah, and the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all other nobles. So here's Haman, he's put number two. So here's Xerxes king, and now Haman, number two, elevated him. All the royal officials at the gate uh, knelt down and paid honor to Haman. They're literally bowing down before this guy. But there was this guy named Mordecai. It says he would not kneel down or pay him honor. He refused to bend the knee. Verse 3 says, Then the royal officials at the king's gate, this is where the friends come in. Then the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, Why? Do you disobey the king's command? Day after day they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. So Mordecai is talking to these other officials, and they're asking, like, what, what, what? You're, everybody else, when Haman walks by, they bow down, but you don't bow down. Hmm, interesting. So therefore they told Haman, tattletale Karens. This is the Karens of the Old Testament, all right? They existed thousands of years ago, still Still, they live on. Like, they have to go tell. Like, tell. And like, right now, I mean, hey, I want to do the best thing, but I'm going to tell you, I think we live in a Karen culture with social media. People are like watching what other people are doing. Somebody shot off some fireworks last night in my neighborhood, and you would have thought a war started. A war. And like, then people were posting on my Facebook like, group page, it was like, Happy Diwali. And I was like, what? And then people were like, what? And I, do I need to go outside and check to see if my house is on fire? I'm like, come on. Come on, Karen. Your house isn't on fire. It's okay. Anyway, here are these guys. And Mordecai's not bowing down, and they feel the need. They got to go tell Haman, right? They got to they gotta go tell him, and like, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do about this, Haman? Has anybody ever done that to you? Like, like, do you see what they, do you see what she, do you see what he, see what they posted? Dude, don't feed the troll. Don't feed the troll. Day after day, they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. Therefore, they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated. Oh, are you, you going to stand up and, and be the man that you've been elevated to be? For they told him he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down. Now check that out. He had walked by day after day and he had never seen it. 
Now all of a sudden he's noticing something that he hadn't seen for weeks. Very interesting. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But when he saw that, that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Enraged. Like Hulk out, level 10, rage monster. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, were he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. So killing only, not enough. Instead, what did he do? He plotted to kill the entire Jewish race. Now, I don't know what levels of rage are, but I'm pretty sure that murder would be like up there, okay? Like that's gotta be like a nine, 9.5. And then genocide, that takes you all the way to 10, right? Is everybody, everybody on the train? Like you're so mad about this dude that you're gonna kill everyone? Now I know that some of you, when you're hangry, you have similar feelings, okay? But, but for real, this is an anger issue. If you ever find yourself just raging out, you might wanna, you might wanna check into that. There's probably something underlying that's causing this. So the first thing I want us to ask about Haman and the making of a monster is can your attitude, can your attitude handle the altitude? Can your attitude handle the altitude? That'd be a good one to write down. Some of us get promoted and all of a sudden we allow whatever we now possess to go to our heads. And all of a sudden the, the gratitude goes away. And what replaces gratitude is entitlement. And, and now this thirst for power and to then demonstrate your power by showing someone else how powerless they are, how little they are. And it's so bizarre how this happens to good people. They're good people. And then you give them a title beside their name. Has anybody else ever seen this? Raise your hand if you've ever seen it. Like they were normal, nice people. And then you made them director. And then you made them manager or assistant to the regional manager. And then they go full Dwight on you. And all of a sudden this, this title goes to their heads. Don't let it go to your head. If God elevates you, who should you get down on your knees and thank every day for the things that you have and the possession and the success? Who got you there? God got you there. And if you'll maintain an attitude of gratitude, then you'll be able to handle the altitude that he's going to give you. But if you're not careful, you'll get up there and all of a sudden the attitude changes changes. So bizarre. As a pastor, having been preaching next year, 30 years, I can't tell you how many times I've seen this happen. I've seen people that are like, oh, I'm so lonely. I just wish I could find a good man. I just, I just wish I could find a husband. I just, wanna, I just want someone to share life with. And then they get a husband and all they do is complain about the husband that they now have. Haman just got the promotion. He just got it. And now he wants to wipe everybody out. Think about that for like, how quickly did it shift? I've seen people that are like, oh, we, 
we just want to have a child so bad. We just, we just, God just, they pray like weird prayers, like God, like, like you did for Sarah and you opened her womb. Would you open my womb? And they're, they're so passionate about pursuing a child. They want it more than anything in the world. And then they get a child and right out of the gate, like, oh, I can't sleep. Oh, just like these children are so hard. And they start complaining about the miracle that God just gave them. Is that, am I telling the truth? Anybody, like, come on. You didn't have a business and then God blesses you with a business or a promotion and now all of a sudden the person who was like, God, just give me a job, any job, any job. And now it's like, oh, I can't stand working there. All the people that get up there, they just have bad attitudes. He just gave you a job. And you think that like it's unique, right? Like, like once you cross those doors, there's a magical spiritual aura that you walk into that churches don't struggle with this. Like people don't walk into church and complain about anything, right? Y'all think that, right? Like churches is like a drama-free zone, right? You check your drama at the door. Do you think that's true? Are you looking for the church that doesn't have drama? You're not going to find it. And I see people that they move from job to job to job. They move from school to school to school. They move from relationship to relationship, sometimes marriage to marriage, sometimes even church to church. And on this side of the, the curtain, I just want you to say, no, we call them church hoppers. It's like hop to the next church, hop to the next church. And then they go in and they're like Goldilocks. This one's too hot. This one's too cold. This one doesn't have lights. This one has too bright a lights. This one, the worship is too loud. This one, the worship is too soft. The preacher's too long. The preacher's not funny enough. The preacher's too funny. Is he trying to entertain me? Come on. Come on. Y'all are crazy. Y'all are crazy. I'll say it to your face. Drama. Drama. If you're looking for the drama-free zone, it's heaven. You're never going to find a church like that. As long as there's people, there's sin. As long as there's sin, there's drama. Here was Haman having a good day, living his best life at the pinnacle. And all of a sudden, these guys come whispering to him, hey, hey, did you, uh, did you see this Mordecai guy? He, everybody else bowing down. He's not bowing down. What are you going to do about that? What are you going to do about that? And he goes walking through the next day. And now, something he had never noticed before is dominating his mind. You better, you better always be listening carefully because the wrong friends will plant the poisonous seed of a false perception. All of a sudden now to him, what Mordecai was doing was disrespect. What if instead of disrespect, it was a different perspective? But when someone frames it, if you're not careful, all of a sudden now you look at the same thing that they told you. They put that perception inside your brain and now you see that perception and you see it as reality and now your emotions are reacting to a false perception that someone else planted inside your head. Oh, that church just wants your money. You walk in and we ask for an offering at the end of the service. See, told you so, told you so. 
Whenever you think about your relationship, you go around, you talk to these people that always complain about their marriage, and then you walk into your house and your wife or your husband does something that's just remotely similar to whatever that thing was. And now in your mind, you're like, oh, well, I guess they're all like that. False perceptions inside our minds are so powerful. All of a sudden, this thing that he didn't even notice for days, weeks, maybe months, is now something he can't get past. It's like something eating away inside of his brain, all because he listened to the wrong people. I just want to ask you, what are you, what are you letting inside there? Hmm? Do you think it's possible that you're fixating on things that have nothing to do with God? Do you think it's possible that God has blessed you with so much that you could... If you really stopped today and thought about all the things he's blessed you with, you'd be overwhelmed with gratitude. And then you allow this one thing that's not going well, this one thing that's not going right, this one thing that you didn't even notice until someone planted that seed inside your brain, now that's the only thing that you can think about? That false perception is a prison. And it'll rob you of all the good that God has put in your life. Can I please tell you this morning, Haman was not born a monster. We did not know anything about him before the promotion, but he had to have been proficient. He had to be loyal, had to be good to get the promotion. And now all of a sudden, he can't handle the success. He can't handle it. He's got the wrong people around him. And so he chooses to do the wrong thing instead of the right thing. And just like the right thing will lead you to the right place tomorrow, the wrong thing, that'll take you to the wrong place tomorrow. I don't have time to preach that part. That's going to be part two. But I'm going to end it like this. I'm going to tell you that when we look at Mordecai and we look at Haman, I think that more oftentimes than not, we feel more like Mordecai in the sense that I didn't want this. I didn't choose this. Here I am, and I feel like these people have more power than I have, and I don't think that I can affect the situation. And so you kind of shell up, you turtle up, and, and you're like, just, you, just, you, you become inactive. You're like, you're like pacifist. You think that, you know, I'm just, it's better off, I'll just... Just go and hide in my closet and I hope that it'll get better. And then you have Haman on the other side of the coin that has all the power, has all the power, and is doing all the plotting. And what makes the difference between you and the villain that's against you? Well, I guess it would have to be God. Don't you think that Mordecai needed God to get out of this predicament? Don't you think that the Israelites needed God on more than one occasion, to get out of the mess that they had gotten themselves into? Absolutely. So the difference between Haman and Mordecai is not one was born a monster, one chose the wrong. One chose the right. And the one that chose the right chose God. You know what would make all the difference in the world in your marriage, in your money, in your attitude? All the difference in the world would be you choosing the right thing today to put God number one in your life. Test me. Test me. Try me. See if I'm right. See if Pastor Tim knows what he's talking about.
You spend a week, this week, honoring God first thing. Honor Him as soon as you wake up. Before your feet hit the ground, before you grab your phone. I know how you are. Before you even get out of bed, like, oh, I need to see what other people think about me. Oh. Say, God, today is your day. I want to do the right thing today. And what you'll find is your attitude will change. And people will start asking you, hey, something different, something different. And I hope when they ask you that question, you'll be ready to give them the answer that you put God first in your life. And let that be a light in this dark, dark world. Let's pray. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that you give us strength, God, to do the right thing, even when it's difficult, even when it hurts, even when we feel isolated, when we feel alone, when we feel outnumbered, when we feel overpowered. God, help us. Help us, God, to do the right thing. God, I pray for every person who's struggling in here with connection, with community, with uncertainty. God, that they would see the tale of two men and they would choose to do the right thing and then trust you for the rest. Lord, we ask these things in your name. And the church said, amen. Will you rise and worship with us?